Welcome, my friends, to the Moon Jockeys podcast. <laughs> An in-depth discussion of Star Wars themes, characters, and storylines. Now, here are your hosts, Katie and Brian. Yeah, good evening. I'm so excited to talk about Phantom tonight. What about you? Oh yeah, super excited. I feel like we've been waiting for this uh, day for a couple weeks now. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it's been a while, <laughs> you know, waiting for Phantom. Uh, some things got in the way, you know, maybe an important trailer. I don't know. I heard something about that. It wasn't that important. It, you know, definitely did not cross my Twitter feed. At all, a thousand times, yeah. <laughs> I may have listened to many, many trailer reviews in the last week. Oh, you know what? I feel like I may have heard the word misdirection more times in the last week than in my entire existence before. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! No, I literally the only people who use the phrase misdirection more than Star Wars fans right now are actual magicians. That's <laughs> I'm so sick of that word. <laughs> but it's so fitting for that trailer. Uh, this direction. It's just like I'm imagining Ryan Johnson with a glittering cape, <laughs> you know, like yeah. what's going on over here? And he pulls a dove out of his out of his shirt. You're falling <laughs> into my evil plans. <laughs> <laughs> he just like he goes, he points. What's that over there? And we look and we look back and oh, he's Kylo Ren. What? I don't <laughs> misdirection. Ooh. I don't know. <laughs> We've had a very big week. Uh, we are now officially on iTunes. I'm kind of excited <gasps> about that. Yeah, celebrate good times on iTunes. We, I don't know. <laughs> so you know what that means. We are in desperate need of rating and reviews. Oh, and yeah. Do that. Hey, if you're listening to us, maybe rate us on iTunes. That'd be really, really sweet. If you uh, if you leave us a nice comment on iTunes, you know what? I I think I could be convinced to read it out loud on air, and then just cry over how nice you are to us. I'm just flattered that anyone has listened to our episodes, and oh, I appreciate too. any feedback that we're getting so far. So yes, we're yes, very thank grateful. you, very grateful, even for anybody you know just listening, and any feedback, of course, is appreciated. So thank you people for listening to our awkward fledgling stage where we're still figuring things out <laughs> we uh put up a couple twitter polls this week <gasps> we sure the phantom menace yes we sure did i was so excited to hear everybody's favorite moment from the phantom menace so we put up one poll on our moon jockeys podcast twitter feed it's just moon jockeys pod on twitter uh, and we gave people four options to choose from on that poll. But of course, we encouraged if if you see if your favorite scene isn't on here, go ahead and hit a reply and tell us what it is. But 
I think people made themselves pretty clear about what the best scene is in the Phantom Menace. You want to you want to drop that this huge bomb like it's going to be a surprise. Well, <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> agreed with me and I I'm pretty sure 100% agreed with you mm-hmm. that Duel of the Fates was the by far favorite. Oh yes, Duel of the Fates was the clear winner for best scene in the Phantom Menace or at least favorite scene in the Phantom Menace. I think I think it qualifies for both. What do you think? We could say favorite and best. I think so. It's just I think so too. It defined the whole movie for me. It did. And it it just set up so much for the rest of the saga. It gave us an extremely iconic piece of music. I just I could talk about Duel of the Fates and just praise Duel of the Fates for hours and hours. And so when I saw Duel of the Fates being the clear winner on that poll on my own Twitter feed, Poe Hot Dameron, I threw up a poll saying, obviously, Duel of the Fates is, is the best scene in The Phantom Menace, but which part of the duel is the best? Because let's be honest, that's a really long sequence. Duel of the Fates? It covers a lot of ground, doesn't it? A it lot does. of little things. Yeah, a lot of things happen along the way. So that could, if you say it's your favorite, well, what part of that scene is your favorite? Is that the dramatic moment when the blast doors open and Maul is standing there? You know, dun, 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 dun. That's a good moment, right? Yes, yes. Oh, my gosh. It oh, gets my heart racing every time. Uh, oh, and then, of course, there's, you know, seeing two Jedi battle a Sith, the three-way fight. Uh, there's the part where Qui-Gon kneels down and Maul just paces, waiting for his moment to strike. And then, of course, there's Obi-Wan ultimately triumphing at the end. A lot of stuff to pick from. And the result of that poll was about half of people voted for Qui-Gon kneeling and Maul pacing, which... I, I guess I wasn't too surprised. I guess if I had to to guess which one would win, I had to go between that and the reveal of Maul at the beginning. I was so conflicted because three mm-hmm. of those things are, like, my favorites, but they're individual. Like, they're, they, they're very different from one another. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the Qui-Gon's meditation and Maul pacing on the prowl, like, he's a wild lion just stalking like that has the most symbolism to me Mm -hmm. um and then the obi-wan's triumph over maul has the best actual saber dueling that i think i I just oh yeah that's so much well Um, you mean when the when the when the the ray shield opens up uh and then maul and obi-wan are finally fighting one-on-one and they just smack 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 each other Uh uh-huh yeah, like, well, that's a... actually Maul's triumph because Maul force pushes Obi Wan down the hole. <laughs> well, but I, I know guess what you mean. From a certain point of view, it is yes. Maul's triumph. <laughs> yes, just briefly, if ever briefly, it's Maul's triumph. I just I feel like he wins that specific moment of the fight. Uh, but no, you're right. Just the way they go at each other with such intensity, and every blow is immediately met with a counter blow. And just the way they flip around each other. And there's a moment where Obi-Wan like swipes at Maul and Maul flips out of the way and then makes like a wide gesture with his arm like, come get me, bro. Oh, yeah, right after he cuts Maul's saber in half. Yeah. He does this like spinny uh, twirl. And then he like po- poses with this like, come at me, bro thing. And yeah. that is my favorite Maul. 
That's so good. Well, I, I heard Ray Park talk about that moment and uh, he hid the fact that he's what a uh, Scottish is. Is that what Ewan McGregor is? Right. Maybe. I think, I think, I think it was that he was Scottish and, uh, and, and Ray Park will, you know, because, uh, Maul doesn't speak very much. He kind of hid that or he says that he hid it from Ewan until his parents came to set and they had, you know, really thick Scottish accents and Ewan was like, Oh, I, I didn't know you were a Scot. And, and Ray Park said that he just looked at him and he's like, well, I wasn't going to tell you that was I. And that like, ignited this fire between them of two you know scots just going at each other right. on, uh, on set yeah it just uh, the way he talks about it is that they were able to like bring this personal intensity to that scene not like just as their characters but as two scotsmen <laughs> I, which i just think is a great story the personality that they brought to the saber duel was mm-hmm. awesome. so I yeah no we'll i talk I, about that some more Oh, exactly. So I, I know exactly what you mean when you say that 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 moment between Maul and and quite and sorry, Obi-Wan fighting one on one. That's some of the best lightsaber work we've ever seen. Yeah, like he blocks it behind him without looking. We've yeah. never seen anything like that in the no. original trilogy. It was so fast and so quick. Well, they just it's because they finally hired a martial artist <laughs> who knew what he was doing. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. So. So tonight we're gonna talk about the yeah. um. The top, the major uh, themes that we see. Yes. In the Phantom Menace. Exactly. Well, I remember we originally were going to talk about just our favorite scenes in the Phantom Menace, and <laughs> you know me, this is my favorite Star Wars movie, so it was really hard for me to pare down like what are my favorite scenes. And then even just talking to you, we were like, well, this scene is really cool, and it ties in thematically to that scene. Yeah. And it just became more and more clear that we wanted to talk about this whole movie, basically, and. So we just decided to talk about all the themes that we see in this movie uh, throughout the entire film and then how this leads. It sets the groundwork for the entire saga. The themes that reoccur in this movie or are introduced in this movie set the stage for the re- for the rest of, of the entire series. So this allows us to talk about all of our favorite scenes and the whole movie in general. So I just I love this. Let's let's just jump right into it. Sounds great. Cool. Uh, the first theme that I recognize, I've kind of already touched on it, this idea that The Phantom Menace as a movie lays the foundation for the rest of the saga. And nothing to me quite summarizes that as neatly as the quote, every journey has a first step. And this was something that I remember hearing a lot in the marketing for The Phantom Menace uh, back in 1999. I don't know if you remember that as clearly as I do, Brian, like if uh, if you were as surrounded by it oh, I <laughs> as I was. I was emerged in the mm-hmm. marketing of 97, or 98, 99, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, the lead up to The Phantom Menace. Maul's yeah. face was everywhere. <laughs> I, uh, yes, absolutely. Just, yeah, just this idea that we're seeing episode one that was huge. I remember seeing on on movie theater marquees back in 1999, some theaters just put episode one. They didn't even put The Phantom Menace. Right. 
They just put episode one. So this idea that we're seeing where Star Wars truly begins was a huge deal. And um, so for me, that that really does summarize this movie. This movie is the first step in a much longer journey. It is, in a way, it's the first stone thrown into a still lake. And then the ripples caused by, by this movie, by that first stone, flow out through the rest of the saga. You know, it, it touches, this movie touches everything that comes after. And... Really, I get so frustrated with people that say that you can skip The Phantom Menace because they say nothing happens in this movie. You can you can enjoy the rest of the saga without ever knowing that Darth Maul exists or that Anakin won a pod race. You can enjoy the rest of the saga without knowing how Anakin and Obi-Wan met. And I suppose there's some validity of in that. Have you uh, have you ever heard of the uh, machete order? I have. Um, of the films? And go back and forth at times because mm-hmm. when I was a little older uh, when I saw The Phantom Menace and so Anakin and um, the Gungans I don't even think it's Jar Jar as much as it's Boss Nass and um, Captain Tarple that yes. make some really bad dialogue that <laughs> <clears throat> That is kind of grating when you're an sure. Adult, I think um, the way they speak, I understand. Sure. Yeah. So, and there were so many poodoo jokes. <laughs> when you're 23. It's yeah, a little sure harder. But, it's harder to to give yourself completely to to that story. It's it wouldn't resonate with you the way it was resonating with the children around you. I understand that. But if you look at it through it more innocent eyes then mm-hmm. you love it just because it it, to- it totally is star wars exactly and it does set up the saga uh how darth vader became darth vader like that mm-hmm. that's the promise of the prequels that we were we wanted to see how the villain became the villain um, well for me the the machete order specifically is very intriguing to me. It's this idea that you watch episode four, episode five. At the end of episode five, you discover that Darth Vader is in fact Luke's father. And then you skip Phantom Menace. <laughs> you just watch episodes two and episodes three as sort of flashbacks. It's like, oh, now you know that Vader is... Anakin Skywalker. So we're going to flash back to who Anakin Skywalker was and you see his fall. And then it creates this really interesting tension when, when after you finish episode two and three, you go to episode six and it has, you've you know seen Anakin's whole story. You know that Luke and Leia are secretly twins. So it creates this really interesting tension where you're going into six, knowing something, knowing a lot of things that Luke doesn't know but not knowing where this is going or how it's going to end or even if Anakin can be redeemed. That is very intriguing to me, but I just can't entirely get behind the idea that you can skip The Phantom Menace because this is where our journey begins. This is our first step, and you can't you can't start any journey without taking that first step, right? Right. You can't mm-hmm. do step B before you do step A. Exactly. I do like the reveal in episode three of Luke and Leia 
uh, more yes. than the reveal in episode six. I do like that a lot. Je- Jedi. So mm-hmm. that part I like. Um, but I like that Star Wars is kind of a reflection of our world, and our world mm-hmm. has a lot of politics. And the more we understand how things happen politically, uh, it, it's, it opens your uh, worldview and it changes your paradigm of how you see things. Like, Palpatine is awful in The Phantom Menace. The way yes. That he hates people. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, always, he's ever... always smiling too. It's just he's so awful in the way he's doing these horrible, manipulative things, but always smiling. It's oh, he so... plays people like our harmonica, and it's just kind of mm-hmm. disgusting. That yep, their people are just his puppets. Um, yeah, we'll get into that. <laughs> well, that that's a good way to bring me into another theme that I feel this movie lays the foundation for. And that, of course, is uh, when Yoda says some very wise words to Anakin. Do you want to play a clip for me? Sure. How feel you? Cold, sir. Afraid, are you? No, sir. See through you. We can. Be mindful of your feelings. Your thoughts dwell on your mother. I miss her. Mm, afraid to lose her, I think. Mm? What has that got to do with anything? Everything. Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. sense much fear in you oh man you hear the the force theme in that oh it's so good i love that moment but i also hate that moment (laughs) i hate i hate that yoda uh ends it on i sense much fear in you like he could have could have cut that part out yoda but just this idea that fear is the past to the dark side, that's, that's the entire saga right there. That's um, at least the story of the prequels is how fear gives rise to the dark side. People acting on their fears in Attack of the Clones is what drives them to create the clone army and to vote more and more political power to Palpatine, to surrender their personal freedoms, to give more and more executive powers and give rise to a dictator. They're afraid of what their enemy will do to them, what the separatists will do. And so they give away everything and give rise to the dark side. And fear fear was the path to that. I think that fear is a huge theme in uh, Star Wars. And it, it kind of plays out in our daily lives that when you're afraid of someone you don't want to be around them um, and it's caused our history is full of people that were afraid of something and so they hated it um, and if they hated it then they did many atrocities uh, from like genocide to racism to um, 
like sexism. Any number of things, yeah. yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. If you're afraid of something that you don't understand, it can cause you to act angrily um, and mm -hmm. to, to develop hate. And that does lead to other people suffering. Exactly, yeah. And it leads to your own personal suffering because how can you ever be happy if you're acting out of fear? And, and for me, there is a moral complexity in there because it's okay to have fear. It's okay to have these basic human emotions because I think that that plays into a lot of Anakin's downfall. He feels like if he were a better Jedi, that he wouldn't even have these horrible emotions. Right. You know, he, he says, I want more, but I know I shouldn't. There's a lot of times where he feels he admits that he j just having these basic human emotions somehow make him evil. And the answer is no, you're allowed to have these emotions, but don't act on them. Yeah. Well, I mean, mm -hmm. it's having the emotions isn't the problem. It's what you do with the emotions. That's a problem. Exactly. If, if you try to control, if you try to control the situation and, um, and, and enforce your will on the situation, then it could lead you down a dark path. But if mm -hmm. you, you, you have these feelings, but you trust that there is a, a greater purpose. Um, so like later on in the saga, when Yoda says, uh, let go of everything you fear to lose. Mm -hmm. um, when he's talking about, uh, Padme, or he thinks mm -hmm. he's talking about Obi-Wan. <laughs> um, if you let go of what you fear to lose, then whether or not they live or die isn't going to matter. And so it kind of just prepares your heart uh, mm -hmm. for grief if you have to face that. Well, what I think the Jedi's failing of Anakin is that they make him feel like just having these emotions makes him a failure. Because, you know, so much of what Yoda says when he just looks at him and says, well, I sense much fear in you, as if just having it is what makes Anakin evil. And it's not until the Clone Wars, the 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 arc, uh, I don't remember what it was called, uh, Yoda's arc at in the Lost Missions of the Clone Wars. Uh, uh, Yoda's arc. Just Yoda's arc, where he uh, <laughs> he goes to. I can't even remember what that place was called. The Force where Planet, he, or just the Force Planet. Sure, <laughs> we'll call it that. But he goes and he sees his own dark reflection, and it just admitting that he recognizes his own dark self, that he recognizes that he has these dark feelings is a huge step for Yoda because for so long he acted like he was beyond it, that he didn't even have fear and anger. You know, he acts like he's not even angry at Dooku or disappointed in Dooku or afraid for Dooku, his apprentice who has turned his back from the Jedi you know, Yoda acts like this doesn't affect him at all, but of course it does. And even just admitting that he's not going to, he, he has these things, but he's not going to let them control him. He looks at his dark side self and he says through meditation and training, it is I who control you. That's what Anakin needed to learn. That's what Luke needed to learn is that, yes, you have these things, but acting on them acting on your fears instead of acting on your hopes is what leads to the dark side.
And we have a really good example in this movie of someone acting on their fears and giving rise to the dark side. I think, do we have another clip for that or no? Of Padme in the Senate? Uh, No, that's fine. Um, What I'm thinking of specifically is when Padme finally makes it to uh, Coruscant after much delay on Naboo, (laughs) not Naboo, on Tatooine. She finally makes it to the Senate and uh, Palpatine basically tells her, "Uh, Chancellor Valorum can't do anything. Nobody can help you. Uh, The, the, no, there's little chance of anybody stopping this invasion. And Padme looks at him and says, Chancellor Valorum thinks there's still hope. And that's an important word. Is she going to act and follow the person who believes there's still hope? Or is she going to listen to Palpatine, who's standing in front of her saying, no, there's nothing that can be done. And of course, they get into the Senate hearing and Valorum does show his weakness. He shows that he's willing to let the bureaucrats control him. And then Padme acts on her fears that nobody is going to help her and nobody is going to help her people and her people are going to suffer and die. She then acts on that fear and calls for a vote of no confidence. And yeah, she loses that trust. She loses that hope. And I, I mean, I, I hate to say this because I don't want to be like, oh, everything's Padme's fault. <laughs> That's something that has gone around Twitter, and I don't abide that at all. You know, we, we're not going to blame Padme for the saga, but, you know, all the bad things that happen in the saga. But it does make Padme human that she's able to make mistakes and, like Anakin, occasionally give in to her fears. And she does what she thinks is best for her people by calling for that vote of no confidence. And that underscores the theme that fear leads to the dark side. She gave rise to Palpatine. She gave him power in that moment. I don't think it should uh, say anything poorly of Padme uh, Mm -hmm. because she's a good leader that is earnestly trying to lead her people the best way she can. She's trying to avoid war Mm -hmm. um, and all-out war. And so she does the course of action that she thinks will bring peace. Um, I think what it really gives weight to is kind of the second theme that we have is Palpatine is a puppet master of the prequels like no other. Um, He orchestrates... Because he has uh, the double identity as a senator of Naboo, and then his double identity is Darth Sidious with the um, Nuke Gunray and the Trade, Fener- Trade Federation. He, he entices the Trade Federation to set up a blockade on his home planet. Um, that's his own people that he's trying to serve. He's taking No, he's not. Of, um, <laughs> He's, he's he's never trying to serve them he's <laughs> ever using it for his own benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, he knows that he can create a conflict at his home world, and he can play the 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 other political parties there. Mm-hmm. He, he's done so many things um, that will later be revealed years and years earlier. He created the Grand Army of the Republic through. Uh, 
the Nemoidians. <clears throat> and, and he's also gotten control of the um, the banking clans to pay for everything. It just it's ridiculous that how how many steps he's done forever to bring it all together so that he can be to be get power in in the galaxy. So you're you're of the opinion that the Phantom Menace that the title refers to is indeed Palpatine? Yes, 100%. Cool. Yeah. You know, yeah, I've heard a lot of of different interpretations of that. Some people say it it's Palpatine. Uh, others have suggested that, that it's Maul because he's the, you know, the stealth assassin following everybody through this film. Uh, I've also heard it suggested that it's just uh, that the Phantom Menace uh, refers to just the dark side itself and Maul and Palpatine are just agents of the dark side. I, I think these are all correct in their own way. I don't I don't necessarily think there's one absolute answer. I feel like even even if uh, George Lucas himself said, uh, oh, you know, when I wrote Phantom Menace, I was thinking of Palpatine, I, I would still say, <laughs> I don't know, there's different interpretations, man. The author's dead. That would be a... Mm-hmm. The fact that Palpatine does so much to, to orchestrate becoming Chancellor of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. and, and he is... The end of the movie... Mm-hmm. is a celebration of Naboo's victory, but the mm-hmm. victory song is the Emperor's theme in a major chord instead of a minor chord. So the, even in the victory of Naboo, they're still celebrating Palpatine's rise to power, and they have no idea what lies ahead of them and how much he's going to hurt the galaxy in hurting yeah. the people. Um, at the very beginning of this movie, um, you know, one of the first lines spoken is Obi-Wan saying, I have a bad feeling about this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not about the mission master. It's elsewhere, elusive. I, To me, that suggests that he's sensing this underlying threat, the phantom menace. And, you know, looking at it from your point of view, the things that you're saying, I'm thinking it could be interpreted that he's talking about the hand of Palpatine guiding this event mm-hmm. and guiding, you know, you were talking about all these little machinations, all these little, you know, chess pieces that he's moved into place. It could be that Obi-Wan is sensing that that hand of Palpatine. For me, that that has always, for me, the Phantom Menace has been just kind of the dark side itself. Uh, with Maul and Palpatine acting as agents of the dark side. And when uh, Obi-Wan says, I have a bad feeling about this, you know, elsewhere elusive, he's feeling the the rise of the dark side, the the rise of the Sith, that, that the Jedi, you know, won't even admit is a possibility. Because, of course, the, the Sith couldn't have returned without them knowing, right? <laughs> but so of course they have. Dark. Yeah, exactly. The The dark side has been in the shadows, you know, working against them for so long. They're in a war. The Jedi are in a war already that they don't even know they're fighting. And Obi-Wan has become, uh, he's perceived it somehow. I think it's really interesting that Qui-Gon dismisses it. You know, Qui-Gon assumes that Obi-Wan is thinking of the future, which I, I suppose is the implication. He does say, you know, Master Yoda said, I should be mindful of the future. 
and and Qui Gon tells him of the moment exactly. But yeah, um, Qui Gon tells him to focus on the moment. But I wonder if Qui Gon himself isn't dismissing the moment because what's true is that in this moment, Obi Wan is sensing something and he's trying to clue Qui Gon into it, and and Qui Gon dismisses it out of hand. I think, in a way, Qui-Gon's dismissing his own lesson. <laughs> exactly, he's kind of arrogant. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, like, th- that... That is one of the biggest teachings we get in the um, the prequels when he talks about the living force and how he wants Obi-Wan to be mindful of what is going on with the living force and... Uh, to your point, I think Obi-Wan is, that there is something elusive working behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And it's not, what's interesting to me is that this elusive thing is, it, it is in the moment. It's, it's guiding them right now. It has pulled them into, it has pulled the Jedi into this conflict with the Trade Federation in this exact living moment. But it has been going on for a long time. It existed in the past, it's existing in the present, and it's existing in the future. This is a fight that Obi-Wan will be fighting for the rest of his life. And I wonder if it's uh, meaningful in a way that Obi-Wan senses it, but Qui-Gon does not, because Qui-Gon isn't going to be living to fight <laughs> to, to fight this. Like, like, Qui-Gon's oh. noble end is coming. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's like a train barreling down the tracks. It's just, uh, you know, Obi- Obi-Wan is sensing this this threat that is going to plague him for the rest of his life. Today is just the first day of a really long life <laughs> fighting the dark side, and Qui-Gon isn't a part of that, sadly. You know, he will be for the rest of this movie, but not not after it. It's going to be Obi-Wan's fight. And so I think it's just very interesting that he is the one who senses it and Qui-Gon isn't. There is a moment at the end of the movie where Palpatine comes up to Anakin after he blew up the Trade Federation control ship. And he just quietly says, we'll follow your career with great interest. Oh my gosh. I remember everybody in the theater laughing so hard when that happened in in 1999. <laughs> Everybody laughed so hard, and I was just like, oh, God, we're all going to be watching his career with great interest. He's just sowing <laughs> the seed of a relationship that will uh, play oh. against the rest of his Oh, life. it's so creepy to me. The way he puts his hand on Anakin's shoulder, I'm like, Alpatine, do not touch the small child. Just like, and especially, like, for me personally, because I love Maul so much, I'm like, dude, your apprentice, this, you know, Maul, who you raised from literal infancy, just died, and you're already shopping around for a new apprentice. Can you not? <laughs> for my own sanity, can you not? <laughs> oh. Oh, Palpatine. <laughs> my, my least favorite character. I just, I get so mad when I think about Palpatine. <laughs> he does do a, a good job of encapsulating the dark side though um he's, yeah he's just Ugh. i don't i don't even know he uses the dark side like a tool it's i don't think he embodies the dark side i think he wheels it the way maul wields a lightsaber effectively and devastatingly but i don't think he encapsulates the dark side 
But I think there's m more malice and menace in sure. Palpatine than there is mm -hmm. in Maul. Yes. And, and oh, okay, it's official. Palpatine episode. We have to do a Palpatine episode. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, but no, this one this one is for uh, the themes of the Phantom Menace. <laughs> I don't want to get you know pulled too far into a Palpatine discussion because I'm just gonna get upset and just start ranting about how he's the worst. <laughs> he is, but I think that's the point. Um, what do you think about the Chosen One? The Chosen One, yeah, that's another theme. That's another. A oh, huge theme, and that will plague us for the rest. Uh, if not for the rest of the saga, because I don't think the idea of the Chosen One really comes up in the OT. It's it's implied when you look at it through the lens of you, you just watched the prequels. You know, you can't help but think, is this a new Chosen One? Is Anakin still the Chosen One now that he's Darth Vader? But really, the Chosen One only plagues us in retrospect and it continues to plague us because it comes up even as recently as in rebels in the twin sons episode we had to talk about the chosen one and i don't think we'll ever stop <laughs> i think the chosen one argument will go on for the rest the rest of our lives i'm so tired of it, <laughs> it it's an interesting construct because when people were given that kind of um, expectation, mm -hmm. how freaking hard is it to live up to that? I mean... Oh, yeah. He's told over and over again that Anakin is the chosen one. Qui-Gon even says it to him. Um, then he has to go to the Jedi Council and defend whether or not he's a chosen one, and he should be trained as a Jedi. Yeah. Well, because that, that really... The idea that Anakin is the chosen one is really Anakin's only selling point because, you know, they bring him into this room and he's way too old to be trained as a Jedi. He, you know, you just look at him. He's still dirty. He's wearing his slave clothes. Honestly, he's just a gross little boy. And they're just like, well, why should we train this random kid who's way too old as a Jedi? Well, he's the chosen one. That's like, that's all he has going for him. And, and so they lean on it. The chosen one. Exactly. They have to lean on it really hard. And so they give him a couple tests and he passes it. But, you know, they the Jedi Council just really don't believe they, they don't think a chosen one is necessary because a chosen one will bring balance to the force. And they don't believe that the force is in need of balance. They don't believe that it's out of balance because, of again, the Sith could not have returned without them knowing it. Right. So why would we need a chosen one right now? And it's not until they confirm that there was a Sith Lord in tat on Tatooine that they accept, okay, maybe the Sith are back and maybe we need a chosen one right now. Right. The fact that they have um, a blood test and of to test midichlorians could sit, could suggest that the Jedi have become very scientific about religion hmm. which is a little weird I don't know you want me to go to bat for midichlorians I'll go to bat for midichlorians <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying midichlorians aren't real and I'm not saying mm -hmm. uh, 
they don't have their place, but mm -hmm. the force and uh, wielding the force is more of a religion in a galaxy far, far away, I think. So why would you need science to back up how much of a connection you have to the force? Oops. Oh, knocked my microphone there. Sorry. Okay. Um, well, I think it's super useful, in fact, to have a blood test they can run to see what your aptitude is for the force before they send you to this super special school. <laughs> well, because think about it. The galaxy is huge. The Republic is thousands of systems, thousands of planets and planets, entire planets. It's really useful if they have a simple DNA test that, you know, they can run that doctors can look for when you take in a kid for their first physical that says, whoa, you have incredible aptitude for this. Let's inform the Jedi Council. And that was something that kind of came up in the Clone Wars where, you know, they, they were able to identify younglings at a really early stage because of the midichlorian tests. And, you know, they would then be able to contact the parents and talk to them and say, okay, when your kid is, you know, old enough to, you know, leave their mother, you know, old enough to walk and stuff, we'll take them to the Jedi Temple to be trained. And I just think midichlorians are really useful and smart thing to have when you think about just how big the galaxy is, just how big the Republic is, and just how few Jedi there are. Like, how are the Jedi finding, you know, these children? It's like one in... 10,000 children, you know, like, un unless there is a, a scientific, you know, medical way to test for this thing. I, I don't know. And I don't necessarily think that, you know, science needs to be divided from this because, you know, the, these two opposite, the idea of opposites merging and being two halves of a whole is a Star Wars theme, you know, the idea you're more machine now than man. Well, where does the machine end and the man begin? The idea that dark and light are two halves of a whole. Yeah. The idea that the Jedi can coexist with science, you know, their magic and feel the force inside you also has a scientific counterpart. That's a very Star Wars theme. And so I I like midichlorians. I think they're cool. They they give us a, you know, a, a reasonable explanation for how the Jedi are able to find potential Jedi children to train. It does give an aptitude, um, but what they do with that aptitude is another story. So you can be have all the talent in the world, but if you don't apply the talent, it's just kind of wasted. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, remember what, what Qui-Gon said to Shmi? If if Anakin was born in the Republic, we would have identified him early. Yeah. I think it's because they would have, you know, known about his midichlorian count. Some doctor, you know, would have flagged his file with, hey, crazy high midichlorian count and not just, you know, rumors abounding of some kid who's really good with droids. Like, I mean, especially when we're talking about literal infants here, mm -hmm. you know, they want to be able to identify these children before they're even displaying force sensitivity you know, just, I don't know, <laughs> midichlorians are just a good, good answer to that problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't mean to make this the midichlorian episode. No, it's okay. It's, it's part <laughs> Katie of defends midichlorians. It's part of the phantom menace, absolutely. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. Um, and I think that it kind of plays into why Qui-Gon believes that there is uh, 
Anakin is a chosen one. The high midichlorian mm-hmm. count and the fact that Smee says that there was no father. Um, yeah. That's kind of a that's a bombshell right there. Yeah, I think I think it's remarkable that Shmi's felt comfortable enough with Qui-Gon to reveal that to him because I can't imagine that's a story she spread widely because people would have just been like, yeah, okay, lady, or, you know, or treated her with derision that, you know, that she has the gall to say, oh, there was no father. It feels to me, at least in the actress performance when she says there was no father that to me feels like something she's never said out loud and it's remarkable that she feels comfortable enough with Qui-Gon that she would reveal that to him and moreover that he would believe her that's an incredible thing that she would reveal this to him and he would just accept it and you know just take it as another factor of Oh, there's something special about this boy. You know, that's something he literally says to Obi-Wan. There's something about this boy. Right. <laughs> you know, the force has led him here. It, you know, to, to Qui-Gon, it wasn't an accident that, you know, their ship <laughs> just so happened to, to end up on Naboo and he, and not Naboo, Tatooine. And he just so happened, you know, out of all the junk dealers to walk into the one with Anakin tending it. It, uh, it, the whole, there was no father it just is a huge, Hey, Qui-Gon <laughs> invest in this boy. Yeah. So do you, do you buy into the Qui-Gon Shmi ship? I could, I could see it there. There is something nice about their connection and the way Qui-Gon, you know, places his hand on, on Shmi's shoulder um, when uh, when Anakin runs off to pack his bags and you know become a Jedi, and uh, Qui Gon places his hand on her shoulder and you know says, "Are you going to be all right?" Uh, that is really sweet, and and you could absolutely, you know, it it is nice if it's just a human moment, if it's just two people con- consoling each other and and being human in that moment, not necessarily anything romantic. But if it was something romantic, I I think that's kind of nice. You know, that, that Shmi could have just this, you know, nice moment, this nice human connection with uh, with a handsome man. Let's face it, Liam Neeson's a very handsome man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that that's just nice for her. I'm like, let Shmi, let, you know, she wants to get it. You know, get it, girl. <laughs> He's definitely better looking than Klieg, I think. Is pretty I think so, too. Yeah, <laughs> I think so, too. Maybe Klieg had other things going for him. We don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Hello. Maybe maybe he wrote her some nice poems, <laughs> just like lovely poetry. I don't know. And at least, well, at least Qui Gon didn't, you know, buy her. And then, you know, whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, he did try to free her. Oh, uh, it does get that does get weird. But so so yeah. In in theory, I could get behind Qui Gon and Shmi. I've heard some crazy theories that that Qui-Gon and Shmi maybe hooked up and and made a baby and then that baby led to Rey or something and I'm just kind of like sure that's uh... random but sure <laughs> how did we get here we went from Midichlorians and now I'm talking about Shmi and Qui-Gon babies what what happened things have gone horribly wrong it's just a good, uh, <laughs> sidetrack. <laughs> just detours. We're driving down the road, and I go, "Oh, look at that!" <laughs> we just oh, pull look, over. Something shiny. We yeah, we pull over into the Shmi and Qui Gon cul-de-sac. 
gosh. So yeah, we're talking about the chosen one. That as a theme that just, of course, continues to crop up through the rest of the prequels. You know, what does it mean to be the chosen one? And I think I think the the Jedi kind of change their interpretation of the chosen one as the series goes on, because, you know, as Anakin gets older, you know, as the Clone Wars loom and then eventually, you know, break out across the galaxy, the the Jedi seem to think that the chosen one is someone meant to destroy the Sith. You know, and maybe they even take that so far as to, you know, oh, he's going to bring us victory in these Clone Wars and strike down all of the Sith for us, you know. But to me, I think the Chosen One is exactly just what they say in this movie, that the Chosen One will bring balance to the Force, and balance is the absence of conflict. Uh, Is it? Is it? I think so. I think so. That balance ultimately is the absence of conflict when everything is calm and still like like yoda says you know luke asks him how am i to know the good from the bad okay, and yoda says yeah just what that tomorrow. means sure yeah because we could talk about it forever the mortis oh. arc actually poses something that the mortis arc and the yoda arc Mm-hmm. lead me to believe that balance of the force has much less to do with anything externally and much more to do with what's internally um, one of the wisdom things that they show at the beginning of uh, the first Mortis episode oh the fortune cookie <clears throat> yeah the fortune cookie yes is uh, balance is accepting your own faults um, and then when, like when Yoda has his duel with his dark side hubris, he has to admit the fact that there is a part of him that is dark, that he has those feelings, that he has a part of, he has the potential to be just as evil as he is good. And so if every force user has the potential to be, either good or dark then when they're able to make the right choice and uh, to get both sides of their uh, potential in balance within themselves that's what I think is balance it's more of an internal struggle than an external struggle but isn't that just another way of saying you put an end to the conflict because what does yoda do in that he stops fighting with himself he stops warring with himself he puts an end to that conflict and the conflict can be external or internal when we act on our fears you know leading to the dark side we often create these conflicts within ourselves and that's something we see even as recently as force awakens when finn decides that he's going to leave ray because he's afraid you know, he acts on his fears instead of his hopes, and that creates a huge conflict within him. And the only way to set it right is to go back for Ray. He puts an end to that conflict. He brings that balance inside of himself. So I think that's what, yeah, that's what the chosen one is supposed to do, is put an end to this, to a conflict. But he, Anakin is nothing if not conflicted <laughs> throughout the entire prequel, the entire saga, honestly. 
Yeah. So that's that's what the chosen one brings uh, means to me is, you know, just just exactly what they say when they first bring up the con the, the concept of a chosen one, because the first time we hear that, we're like, wait, wait, what? What's a chosen one? We refer to the prophecy of the chosen one who will bring balance to the force. That's that's it. You don't really need to add on all these other things. Oh, and he will kill the Sith. Like, who told you that? Who told you that killing Sith would get, bring balance to the Force? Whose idea was that? And where did this prophecy come from? Was that too. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Is it a part of the Journal of the Wills? Could we be finding that out in uh, two months? Maybe, yeah. Maybe. Uh, the second to last theme that we wanted to talk about today um, is the live... I think that the living force was introduced in the Phantom Menace and expanded upon in huge ways of through Qui-Gon in teaching both Obi-Wan and Anakin um, a couple points as we were talking earlier at the beginning of the film Qui-Gon tells Obi-Wan, keep your concentration on the here and now, where it belongs. Be mindful of the future, but not at the expense of the moment. Be mindful of the living force. Uh, and then he also says, be mindful uh, your focus determines your reality. I think that that's such a great determined uh, teaching about life that if your mi mind is scatterbrained and unorganized, you're not going to be as efficient as you are if you're focused. Mm -hmm. um, and then he also, Qui-Gon also tells Anakin to feel uh, and don't think when he's uh, mm -hmm. flying the, the pod race on Tatooine. Yeah, he says, trust your instincts. Yeah. Yeah. So... Qui-Gon has a connection to the living force, but at the same time, you mentioned that he kind of miss. He, that doesn't mean that he can't miss something. That That's true. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he's not... I think Qui-Gon is very, very wise in this film, and he lays down a, a lot of truths that it takes Luke and Obi-Wan a long time to figure out in, in, in the coming films. But that doesn't mean Qui-Gon's perfect. No. I don't mean to say he's completely flawless. I just think he's very wise. And he had a lot of stuff figured out that the Jedi Council just didn't understand and even refused to admit. Just this idea that, you know, that if Qui-Gon would keep to the code, he would be on the Council. If he would follow the Jedi code, he would be on the Council. But, you know, Qui-Gon understood that the code sometimes disrupts the will of the Force. He here's the will of the force because the midichlorians speak to all of us all the time as obi-wan will later say you know it binds us penetrates us the force is always speaking to us and so he always knows what's right he he well he always knows what's right for himself and he's always trying to perceive where the force is guiding him in any given moment you know he thinks to himself why did why was there this gungan in my path Oh, well, because that Gungan was meant to lead me to, you know, Odaganga and then lead me through the planet core and ultimately unite the, the Gungans and the Naboo. Like, Jar Jar does that because the Force put him in Qui-Gon's path. And then Qui-Gon says, well, why 
am I here with these junk deals? Why did the force put this boy in my path? Right. Qui-Gon's always perceiving that, but the Jedi say, no, our, our, our code forbids him from being trained. Our code forbids this and that. Well, if you're disregarding what the force itself has put in front of you because your code is telling you the opposite, then maybe it's your code that's flawed yeah. and not the living force. I, I think that Qui-Gon demonstrates in The Phantom Menace often that, that he believes that all is as the force wills it, like the guardian oh. of the wills. Uh, saying yeah, sure. It says in uh, Rogue One. Uh, he has no fear, for all is as the Force wills it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he has a trust of what he sees before him has a purpose. Um, and it's not a coincidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, Qui-Gon, as you were saying, repeats this idea that, you know, concentrate on the moment, what's true now. Don't... Be thinking about what might happen. Think about what's true in this moment. He repeats it in so many different ways across this film, you know, saying, you know, but not at the expense of the moment. Be mindful of living force. And then later he tells Anakin, feel, don't think, trust your instincts. He's just finding different ways of saying the same idea of, hey, calm down and think about what's true right now. And that that's really powerful to me. It it helps me in a way <laughs> not not think about my anxieties you know, don't center on your anxieties obi-wan you know don't think about what might be think about what's true in this moment right like if you start to worry about what might happen mm -hmm. the, your fears can just grow exponentially and we all know where fear leads yeah. Um, so your focus determines your reality. And if you're focused on your fears, it will become your reality. That's exactly what happens to Anakin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I really well, like I was the thinking. Force in, in this one. Oh, yeah. No, it that's such a good idea. And it's such an interesting way of, of again, laying the foundation for stuff that will come up in later movies. Um, I, I mentioned before, there's a moment in Empire where uh, Luke is, is uh, at, he asks Yoda, is the dark side stronger? No. <laughs> and then, you know, Luke asks him, but how am I to know the good from the bad? And Yoda says, you will know when you are calm, at peace, passive. He, Yoda is saying these things that Qui-Gon figured out in the first movie. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. Empire Strikes yeah. Back Yoda is so different than Phantom Menace Yoda, and it he, took me forever yes. to figure that out. Exactly. He Yoda in Empire has clearly done some talking to Qui-Gon, you know, Force presence Qui-Gon. I don't know if we want to call him Force Ghost or Force Force Voice, <laughs> whatever whatever Qui-Gon is now. You know, Yoda has definitely learned from him. Force Flyer. Fire Force Flyer. Yes, Force Flyer. I love it. Yes. Fireflies. That's what he <laughs> just, is. Yeah, Yoda just hanging out with you know, the, the cluster of fireflies that is Qui-Gon's essence. You know, it's not that hard. <laughs> I mean, the fact that Qui-Gon figured part of that out by himself um, before the rest of Yoda and Obi-Wan and the Jedi Council shows what kind of connection he had to living force. 
Exactly. And it just, it shows how disconnected the rest of the Jedi were from the living force that they put all, all of these other Jedi on the council and shunned Qui-Gon. You know, he, he doesn't follow the code, so he doesn't get to be on the council. They disregard his wisdom because they are devoted to their code and not to the living force. an interesting topic that I have for um, Attack of the Clones. Mm-hmm. A question of uh... <laughs> we're going to get into it later, but <laughs> do you think that Sidious is covering the Jedi's ability to see things clearly? Or do you think the Jedi are hardened because of the stance they're taking becoming generals in a, a war? Because in Attack of the Clones? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think, I feel like the Jedi are a large part doing it to themselves. Of course, you know, Sidious is playing his part to disrupt everything and fabricate a war and muddy the waters, but the Jedi are being controlled by their fears and the dark side clouds everything. And that doesn't necessarily mean the Sith. Of course, the Sith are helping to cloud everything, but the, the dark side within the Jedi is clouding their own vision. I, I, but that's for the that's for Attack of the Clones discussion. I know, I, know. <laughs> I just I think that the yep. Jedi do it to themselves a lot because they're mm-hmm. becoming what they're not supposed to be. Like exactly. They're supposed to be guardians of peace and justice. Not soldiers. Not soldiers. Not soldiers. Not soldiers. That's exactly. exactly what they become in yeah. Attack of the Well just you know, the what Qui-Gon tells Anakin it you know, feel don't think trust your instincts that to me ties in you know to this idea again you know fear leads to the dark side we always know inside what's right we know when we're acting on our fears and we know when we're acting on our hopes and so Qui-Gon I think is in a way telling Anakin to to follow the part of him that knows what's right and not the part of him that is afraid and, you know, maybe if Qui-Gon had trained Anakin, things would have been very different. If, well, ooh, that's a good question. Yeah. If, if Anakin had been trained by Qui-Gon, would things have been different? You want to you wanna get into it? You want to? No. I, oh, my gosh. Okay. The moment we've Here's, been waiting for. Right? Yeah, me to get into it. I think uh, the episode from Rebels, Twin Sons, spoiler alert, if uh, you know you've been off Twitter for a year, <laughs> um, that has done a lot to recontextualize uh, Duel of the Fates and and kind of the ending of Phantom Menace for me because to me uh, when Twin Sons ends and Obi Wan takes up Qui Gon's stance and he is able to kill Maul out of defense instead of out of anger. Because, you know, all throughout the Clone Wars and at the end of Phantom Menace, Obi-Wan is only able of striking Maul out of anger and hate because this is the man that killed his master. But at the end of Twin Sons, he is finally able to just kill him passively, to kill him as a Jedi should. A Jedi uses the Force for knowledge and defense. Never for a Never for Exactly, never for attack. And so that's finally what puts Maul to rest is, you know, not a strike of anger, but a strike of defense. And so this to me implies 
you know, when when Obi-Wan is able to do that by taking Qui-Gon's stance, this implies that Qui-Gon was supposed to be the one to walk away from the first duel of the fates. And when it happens in Twin Suns, when Qui-Gon spiritually triumphs in the second duel of the fates, you know, Obi-Wan versus Maul again on Tatooine, that allows things to be put right because now Qui-Gon spiritually is the one who will be training Luke. And that is the first step in things being different in Luke's journey versus Anakin's. Katie, you're growing. Wow. That is, I'm growing? <laughs> that's amazing that you've gotten to that point. I, I know how hard it was with Twin Sons. Like, oh, yeah, that I was able to talk about it without bursting into tears? Is yeah. that what you mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, so for me, you know, you asked the question, you know, would it have been different if Qui-Gon had trained Anakin? And I think the answer is unequivocally yes, because if Qui-Gon had trained Anakin, Qui-Gon would have made Anakin feel like it's okay to be angry, but don't act on it. (laughs) Uh, Anakin is able to talk to Qui-Gon in a way that he just simply isn't with Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan makes his disdain for Anakin pretty clear in The Phantom Menace, you know, calls him a pathetic light form, calls him dangerous when he's standing right next to him. You know, Obi-Wan looks at Qui-Gon and says, the boy is dangerous. They all sense it. Why can't you? And Anakin's standing right there. So Anakin knows that Obi-Wan doesn't really want him to be here. And of course, Obi-Wan changes his mind by the end of the film. And of course, Obi-Wan comes to love Anakin and see him as a brother and train him and try his best to guide him. I think but, that's kind of the problem with Obi-Wan and Anakin is that they were mm-hmm. more brothers than they were brothers. master and apprentice. Exactly. But I also feel like Anakin... W- didn't want to show any signs of weakness around Obi-Wan, didn't want Obi-Wan to think he was dangerous or that he had any anger or anything, any any non-Jedi trait. He couldn't, Anakin couldn't even admit that he had it, lest, you know, he not be a Jedi like he, like he wants. But Anakin would have been comfortable enough to admit certain things to Qui-Gon that he just wasn't with Obi-Wan. That, that's my feeling. And then, you know, with twin sons underscoring this theme that Qui-Gon is symbolically able to triumph in this redo of Duel of the Fates. Duel of the Fates finally goes right. We have a new chosen one on the line, you know, Luke. And I don't even mean that literally. Don't get too upset if you don't believe that Luke is ever supposed to be a chosen one. But with a new powerful Skywalker, you know, nearly about to be trained on the line it's Qui-Gon that triumphs in that fight. And that, again, it's the first step. Every journey has a first step. And Luke's first step, the foundation of his training, is Qui-Gon triumphing. And Obi-Wan being able to make that connection to Luke in the way that Qui-Gon made to Anakin. It's very safe to say that Obi-Wan believes that Luke is the Chosen One as a result of the Twin Sons episode. Mm-hmm. That's true. So whether or not it's true is another matter, but Obi-Wan believes it. Oh, I mean, it's true that he believes it. That's what I meant. (laughs) I don't know if it's true. Again, I don't think we'll ever get a completely clear answer about the Chosen One. One of the things that's pretty awesome about Duel of the Fates is that... Oh, yes. It... Not only does it... Is it... 
the most awesome lightsaber duel we've ever seen in Star Wars history. But it talks about the epicness that there's more at stake than just a, a simple lightsaber duel. It's not just yeah. Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan versus Darth Maul. Yeah, it's not just, you know, people hitting each other with their lightsabers. It's not just who necessarily who lives and who dies, who can, who can, you know, who has the fanciest footwork and the slickest moves. That's not necessarily what this fight is about. I actually have a really good lead in from our discussion about the living force to duel of the fates. You want to hear it? Sure. It's a really good lead in. This is from the Phantom Menace, you know, episode one novelization written by Terry Brooks. And This is a quote from Duel of the Fates, and it's my favorite Darth Maul quote ever. (laughs) Ever pegged. That's saying something, everyone. That's saying something, yes. Um, uh, Brian, you might be familiar with this. (laughs) I think I've shared it several times, but uh, on the very first time on our podcast, here it is. This is from, again, from the Phantom Menace novelization. Darth Maul was a warrior in his prime, never to be any better his powers at their apex. He had no fear for himself, no doubt that he would win. He was focused in a way that Qui-Gon recognized at once, a Jedi's focus, mindful of the present, locked in what was needed in the here and now. Qui-Gon could see it in his mad eyes and in the set of his red and black tattooed features. This Sith Lord was a living example of what the Jedi Master was always telling Obi-Wan about how best to hear the will of the Force. What do you think of my dramatic reading? some dramatic uh, ambience there yeah. <laughs> for, for my reading yes <laughs> what did you think it's pretty awesome yes um, it just oh. talks about how we talk about yeah he is ready to be in the light and not in the shadow anymore well to me it suggests Oh, man. We talked earlier about how Obi-Wan and Maul finally going one-on-one is such a satisfying moment, you know, just to see them hitting each other, (laughs) how they go at each other with such intensity. Well, for me, I really love the moment where Obi-Wan is kicked aside and then it's just Qui-Gon and Maul and they really go at each other. It's just these two masters who are, as this book implies, just incredibly focused on the moment. They are both two, you know, one light and one dark, just clashing head to head like that. It, it, 
is such a satisfying moment to me and the implication that they are both at one with the will of the living force in this moment mm-hmm. that's huge the implications there are huge this is literally the light and the dark the will of the force the living force itself is expressing itself in this moment through Qui-Gon and Maul and just oh my gosh <laughs> I have so many emotions. Can you tell? No, I, no, I understand. And <laughs> I am I, I'm a rainbow of emotion right now. <laughs> when Qui-Gon just, when they're separated by the ray shield and Qui-Gon takes a moment to meditate, it's such a telling scene because he understands that even in, he is exemplifying what he teaches of being in the moment and there's a moment of peace so therefore let me find the peace in in myself and um ready myself for whatever the results of this duel is going to be uh i'm going to be at peace with those results if i die then i die if if i win i win yeah. Oh my gosh. I I love that moment where the where the ray shields come up. First of all, because it was so unexpected, I can never forget the first time I saw Phantom Menace in theaters. I talk about it all the time. <laughs> but for me, it just the fact that the action could suddenly stop like that, it caught my breath in my throat and I didn't know what to expect or what would happen. And then both Qui-Gon and Maul take what they need from this moment. You know, they do they need their lightsabers right now? No. So they both turn off their lightsabers. And what does Qui-Gon need from this moment? He needs to center himself. There, There's no way Maul can hurt him, and there's no way he can hurt Maul. So why not just drop to his knees and let this moment of peace wash over him, like you were saying? And then Maul is taking what he needs from this moment, and that's to keep himself amped up, to keep his connection to the dark side strong. It's, he's listening to all of his anger, all of his fear, all of his you know raw dark side stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the only way to keep that up is to be laser focused on his opponent mm-hmm. and to prowl. Like I think you called him a t- uh, lion earlier. To me, he looks like a tiger because of all the stripes on his face. Just, <laughs> oh man, the way he paces across, like oh, he really is like a tiger in a cage. Let me at him. Let me at him. Let me at him. And and then what's really interesting to me is Obi Wan in the background, who is not in this moment. He is not taking what he needs from this moment he is in the future he's thinking i want to be over there i want to be over there i want to be over there he's stuck on the sideline like he yeah in the game at all you know he's not in the game and and you know he's not listening to the living force the way qui-gon and maul are in this moment and so the force almost kind of like keeps him aside and i think in a lot of ways the duel of the fates is obi-wan's this is his trial. You know, if the if the will of the force is expressing itself in Qui-Gon and Maul in this moment, then what they're kind of fighting over is Obi-Wan. And, you know, what what is Obi-Wan going to take away from this fight? You know, how is he going to train Anakin? Kind of like I was saying earlier, is he going to take peace and serenity from this fight? Or is he going to strike down his foe in anger? And ultimately, anger wins. And I'm not saying Obi-Wan falls to the dark side. I'm not saying he's an inherently angry person. I'm just saying he's not yet Qui-Gon Jinn. No. 
not yet. No, not yet. He'll he'll get there. <laughs> it, it takes a while, he's but he a he bit gets there. With a lightsaber, but he's not there spiritually. No, he's he's not there just yet, and that's okay. Obi Wan doesn't need to be perfect in Episode One. This is the first step. He doesn't need to be perfect yet. That's okay. I just I, it's always so hard to criticize Obi Wan because everybody loves Obi Wan. Yeah. And of course, I say this with all the love in the world because Obi Wan is everybody's, you know, cool uncle, best friend. <laughs> uh, that he's just in in this episode, he he fails a little bit, and and that's okay. He's going to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> Were you? Uh surprise or what did you feel when Qui-Gon got the fatal blow the the very first time I saw it I was so surprised well in a way I knew it was a possibility I think that's part of what what excited me so much when Obi-Wan was knocked aside from the fight you know he he actually gets knocked down like you know a whole floor completely separated from the fight that excited me because I know Obi-Wan has to survive. I've seen the OT, yeah. so I know Obi-Wan has to make it. But I don't know what happens to Qui-Gon and Maul. I don't know what happens in the next two movies to come. And so the fact that I don't know either of their fate was very, very exciting to me. And I didn't know what was going to happen. And when Qui-Gon was run through, it, it, I, I was Obi-Wan in that moment. No! <laughs> just screaming out because because I, I i really had come to love this this character you know through this movie sure. he was so kind to anakin you know and, and he believed in anakin he's the only one who does believe in anakin and i and i really wanted to see more from him and the first time he was run through i i'm pretty sure i screamed so you many know echoes of uh Luke. small children <laughs> <laughs> well it's imagine well imagine it's 1999 nobody knows how this movie ends and all the little kids in the theater just scream because they saw the nice old man get killed like oh just like in uh a new hope <laughs> right. it, that's what i mean it, it, it echoes luke's response when obi-wan dies and it also mm-hmm. now ray echoes both of them oh when, when she screams no when harrison or when han solo dies yeah well, there's something. There's also something visceral in the way that Qui Gon dies. That that Obi Obi Wan's death in A New Hope doesn't quite capture because he disappears, which is you know fantastic, and you don't really quite know what you're seeing or how that happened. But it's not. You understand that he's gone, but it doesn't hit you the way it it hits you to see the blade go through Qui Gon's chest and the gasp that he makes and the thud of his <laughs> body as he hits the floor. Yeah. There's it's visceral yeah. and it, it, yeah, it's a gut punch. And I think Han Solo gets close to that when Han Solo dies, because you see the blade go through him and you see, you know, all, all that emotion on his face, but him just kind of falling into nothingness doesn't it, you know, it doesn't feel quite as mortal as, as Qui-Gon did when, when he died. Well, maybe if we get a, solo funeral <laughs> it will feel more uh, grounded I do think that Han Solo's last act of touching Kylo's face is gonna be 
something oh. that stays with him for the rest of this um, trilogy. I mean, yeah. How could it not? You know, you just just stabbed him, and all he does is look at you with love, yeah. touches your face one last time, and then slips away. Yeah. <laughs> Kylo. <laughs> Kylo, honestly, <laughs> look at your life. What's going on, Kylo? Do you um have any thoughts on the Sanskrit dialogue for Duel of the Fates? Or oh, I have, have so many thoughts. Do you have translations <laughs> for that? Um, well, I know that what they're singing is, uh, if not a direct translation, at least uh, inspired by, or supposed to be, supposed to be reminiscent of uh, uh, the Battle of the Trees, uh, an old poem. And uh, what they're singing is, uh, in the in the shade of the tree is a fight most dread, but another rages inside the head, which is very very interesting to me because it implies that you know this fight that's happening as we mentioned before isn't just about i'm gonna hit you with my lightsaber it's implying that the battle the true battle is raging inside the mind and i implied this earlier when i said uh, i think this whole fight is for obi-wan the the battle is raging inside of him and the light and the dark are trying to determine you know what what's going to win what's going to lay the foundation for the chosen one's training and though ultimately you know both uh Qui-Gon and Maul are are slain it's the way that Obi-Wan kills Maul out of anger for you know the death of his master that allows the dark side to prevail in in this moment you know the battle raging inside the head mm-hmm. Obi-Wan Obi-Wan isn't able to calm himself and strike out of defense you know he he isn't you know passive like yoda says you know how am i to know the good from the bad you will know when you are calm obi-wan isn't able to calm himself in this moment the battle is raging inside his head and he gives into it he gives into all of this anger that he has towards maul and this happens again and again throughout the clone wars every time obi-wan and maul meet up maul calls obi-wan out for being you know, angry at him. He literally says to to Obi-Wan when they meet up again for the first time in the Clone Wars animated series, Maul looks at him and says, your rage has unbalanced you. That's not the Jedi way, is it? Like, so it, they just make it very, very clear that Obi-Wan is incapable of fighting this guy without thinking about the loss of his master, without getting really, really angry and then striking in that anger. And so that's what the whole song is about, to me at least, is about the battle raging inside of Obi-Wan's head. Obi-Wan. I think the lit- yeah. Mm-hmm. Obi-Wan was like a ball of fury just waiting for the ray shield to open back up. Oh, like, yeah. Totally on his balls of his feet. Um, Bouncing, yeah. Yes. He's like, let me at him, let me at him. He's so amped up, just ready to tear into this guy. Yeah. Uh, and you just you look at the the expression on Obi Wan's face after after Qui Gon has been killed and and Maul kind of looks at Obi Wan in challenge. The the ray shield hasn't even dropped yet, and Maul's already turned his entire focus onto Obi Wan. The expression on Obi Wan's face is just this raw hatred. He's snarling, and then you see when they finally do cross blades, the the camera 
focuses in on Obi-Wan's face as he leans his weight into Maul, there's this huge snarl on Obi-Wan's face. And that's not a word I use lightly. He is full on snarling at Maul because he's so upset. I have a lot of feelings about Duel of the Fates. <laughs> like, I think I said this at the top of the show. I could talk about Duel of the Fates for hours, hours and hours. Even just, yeah, even just about the translation of the music. Because I feel like uh, someone will hear me talking about it and then go look up the translation. And I think the literal translation is just the the proper nouns and the adjectives from that poem, from the Battle of the Trees. They're singing like uh, 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 dreadful <laughs> Uh, raging head, you know, so the, the battle most dread raging inside the head, they're, they're taking out all the thes and just singing battle head raging. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. So it's kind of point is definitely implied with John Williams. Yeah. He, he didn't do it uh, by mistake. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. I, I, again, yeah. The, like you said, the implication is there, but if you're going by literal translation, it's just kind of nonsense. <laughs> this, this singing in Sanskrit just is, is actual nonsense, but you have to, you have to dig deep <laughs> when you want to understand the Phantom Menace, I guess. Do you feel like we've covered a broad scope of your feelings on the Duel of the Fates? Uh, I, I feel like we have um, covered about a teaspoon of my emotions for Duel of the Fates, honestly. But uh, <laughs> that's enough for now. Tiny morsel. Yes, tiny little. That was your little, you know, appetizer of my feelings for Duel of the Fates. We'll have to talk about that sometime. Palpatine and Duel of the Fates. If, Not in the same episode. <laughs> if they ever come up with a drinking game for our podcast, I have a feeling mm -hmm. that Darth Maul, Duel of the Fates... Yoda, the Force, um, <laughs> Padme, <laughs> Padme, Leia. These are going to be common themes that, when you hear them on our podcast, you would likely be drinking. Yeah, yeah, and then you quietly pass out because because uh, we just love those things so much. Yes, absolutely. Mm hmm. This was a lot of fun. I, I, I enjoyed talking about the themes of a of a, the film. It's kind of something new, but yeah. Oh gosh, yes. I had so much fun uh, with this discussion tonight. I just adore the Phantom Menace so very much. It's so good. Yeah, I mean Darth Maul is one of my favorite characters. <laughs> he is the, he is the highlight, absolutely. Kind of like kind of like Duel of the Fates. Darth Maul is just one of those things that we all agree is you know one of the major takeaways from this film. I but I feel like I have to talk mm -hmm. about something. I was mortified when I saw this movie for the first time. Because... Oh yeah, in 1999. Yeah, yeah. Because Darth Maul was the coolest thing since Vader, and he yes. was advertised everywhere. Like yes. everything was Darth Maul. Every toy was Darth Maul. Um, all the he was just everywhere and so mm -hmm. like he's they sold him as the epic character of the prequels mm -hmm. um and i loved his design because he looks pure evil he looks very devilish he's red and black with tattoos and horns um, and one earring and one earring 
<laughs> so like I loved him before I ever saw the movie because I loved his design so much. Like he was just and then he was able to he had the double bladed lightsaber which was pretty awesome epic epic <laughs> and he could actually use it like a martial artist and he fought better than anybody we've ever seen before so like i love darth maul so much uh in 99 and then they kill him off in this well at the time like they just they cut him in half and they let him fall down and shoot i was just mortified because it was it just felt like such a waste he has all of three lines in the movie they're good lines and he's got a lot to him in those lines but i just wanted so much more because i was based on the advertising and based on the character i wanted him to be the apprentice for the prequels i think we all did honestly we we all did and i cannot think feloni and the clone wars and sam were enough for taking one of my favorite characters and bringing him back. Yes. Um, here, here. Drinks all around. <laughs> because he was so underutilized only being in The Phantom Menace that I wanted more. And then Sam took him in The Clone Wars and just gave us so much depth to the craziness that is uh, the mind of a Sith. What's going on beneath the surface? when you first see Maul and he's raving like a lunatic. Uh, Reciting the Sith Code. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. it's just... It was beautiful, and I loved it so much, and I am grateful that we got so much Maul in the Clone Wars. Same. Like, I can't I can't agree with you hard enough. Uh, it's It's been so incredibly rewarding to go... On this journey with Maul, honestly, he he has been a, a presence in my life for a really long time, and I feel like I've grown with him, and he's grown alongside me, which is, I guess, maybe a little ridiculous to say, but I, I have followed his character across films and books and television, and he has met many different endings. He's been reimagined in many different stories, and... It, just to see his character evolve has been such a treat and has been such a journey. And I really don't think it ends with twin sons. That's not necessarily to say that I don't think that he really did die in twin sons. That's a discussion for another time, but I mean, his story isn't over. There will always be more things to say about his character and the impact that he's had on the saga as a whole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll, yeah, just to get that off your chest, just be like, justice for Maul, hashtag justice for Maul. (laughs) Let's see, let's Let's go back in time. This is our plan. We're going to go back in time. We're going to go to 1999, uh, invent Twitter, (laughs) get everybody using it, and start up hashtag justice for Maul. That will be the very first trending thing on Twitter will be justice for Maul, honestly. Good plan? Good plan? Sounds like a good idea. All right, yeah, we'll get on that. I love it. It's yeah, it's a plan. <laughs> we will have a mall discussion. We will have many, many mall discussions. I am I promise you. Just remember to keep drinking because we can just don't <laughs> Exactly. Uh, oh. Yeah, should we wrap it up, I think? I believe so. Next yeah. week, I believe 
we are actually going to start uh, diving into the forces of destiny, as my oh, daughter likes to yes. say. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> forces of destiny. <laughs> it's pretty adorable. That is pretty cute. Oh my gosh. I am super excited to talk about Forces of Destiny. I think, I feel like I always say that. I'm super excited to talk about whatever we're talking about next, but it's always true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am so here for that. And you know what? I think if somebody, anybody wants to tweet at us their favorite Forces of Destiny episode or what they like best about Forces of Destiny, do that. And I'll read it out on air and we'll talk about it. Yes. That'll be fun. Yes, and it, exactly. And if you have any thoughts to share, you can tweet at us at Moon Jockeys Pod on Twitter, or you can email us at Moon Jockeys Podcast at gmail.com. And Brian, if people want to get in touch with you personally, where can they do that? At Falls and Play on Twitter and Instagram. Wonderful. And if anybody wants to tweet at me personally, you can do that at Dameron on Twitter. Just a reminder, uh, our feed is up on iTunes, so you can subscribe there. Uh, we would appreciate any ratings and reviews you can give us uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Any feedback? Very, very important when it comes to iTunes. <laughs> I I think it helps you get promoted and gives you more visibility on iTunes so that people can help, you know, it helps people find our podcast, which would be great if we could grow our listener base and get more feedback because I love talking about Star Wars. And the more time I can spend during my day talking about Star Wars, you know, tweeting at people about Star Wars, the happier I am. It's pretty awesome. Yes. It is pretty awesome. I think you can also find us on Podbean. Is that about it right now? Podbean and and iTunes? Uh, The other apps that I use have had it. So check your your app and see if you can find Mood Jockey's podcast. If not, uh, let me know and I'll see what I can do to fix that. Very, very cool. Well, all right. That wraps up our latest episode of Moon Jockeys Podcast. Brian, thank you so much for being on here with me tonight, talking about my favorite Star Wars movie. Yes. Thanks for being with me. Oh, of course. And, of course, thank you to everybody who tuned in to listen. We greatly appreciate it. And until next time, remember, the Force will be with you.